What are all these wires today? Why are there so many wires? Welcome to Just Over the Fence, (laughs) our monthly podcast where we get to know our friends. Uh, Backyard conversations. You know what, today, Harry, this is, uh, we have a guest who you have been telling me about for a lot of years. Ever since we moved here. Yeah. You you went to an event, like a women's event at church, and she was teaching, I think, or I, I don't know how you first heard her. She was the main speaker for a women's retreat up in Breckenridge, Colorado. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I had heard about her for years, too. I had heard about her books that we'll talk about, I'm sure, with her. But, mm-hmm. you know, what we're all seeking right now is peace and Mimi was one of the first people that in her presence, I felt true peace. Mm. She's an agent of peace around the globe. Yeah. And we'll talk to her about that today, I'm sure. But yeah. around the globe, from Rwanda to growing up a pygmy missionary to malaria for five years, lots of stuff. Yeah. So um, hang on, I need a drink. Okay. Well, while you do that, I'm going to hit play on this thing. Okay. Oh okay. My gosh. Neither of us have listened to this in advance. Because a friend, Becky, loved it that last time Matt was so like I, dying when he heard it for the first time on the air. So, so I don't know what's in here. Well, and always, I've never heard it. And now it's time for Hey Harry! Hey Harry! What's something invisible that can still be seen? (laughs) Invisible that can still be seen. Ah, Chris, you may have stumped me. Chris and crew, you may have stumped me. Invisible that can still be seen. Invisible to all or invisible just to me or you or, you know. Mm. I know Matt, there can be something in his drawer and he's looking for it frantically, and yet it's right there. So I think that's your answer. Ooh, that might be the key answer right I there, Harry. I think that's the answer. It's not invisible to me, that but happens. it's invisible to him, that's for sure. Thanks, Harry. So Thanks for sharing go. that. Yeah. Hey, Chris, <laughs> I don't know what to say, but uh, uh, see, I'll say this, ctaudioproductions.com. He's amazing. Yeah. Chris and crew. Uh, we are going to welcome Mimi Wilson. Yes, and she's bringing a dear friend. They've been friends for almost four decades mm-hmm. um, and co-author to at least two of her books that I know of. Shelley Cook Volkart yeah. will be with her today. I'm excited because I can't cook, but Mimi can. Mm. And one of her best known books is... Uh, Once a Month Cooking. Once a Month Cooking. It's been in print for... Decades. Since the 80s, 1981, I think they, yeah. her and her friend Mary Beth wrote that, but here they come. Is that the doorbell? Do we have a ring? I don't think we have a ring, but I see them. <laughs> oh, they're here. Okay. <laughs> Mimi Wilson, Just Over the Fence. You are a co-author of a book that has been in print for decades. Once a month cooking, which now is a trend. Right. But you were way ahead of this trend. Uh, you and your friend Mary Beth. Right. Is that right? Uh-huh. 
Where did the idea come from? Well, we we did it out of self-defense because (laughs) we were, I was wanting to get more out of my life than just the ordinary. So I decided to do a time study on myself. I had three small children and a busy husband, and so I did a time study. Took every 15 minutes, I wrote down what I did in one column and what I thought in the other column. And after a week, I looked and I thought, you know, I'm having to cook only one more time. I've, I made all the meals ahead. And then I thought, well, what, what about the, how am I going to get it, the word out that I've done this? And um, I talked to Mary Beth, and she was very nonplussed about writing another cookbook. So I said, well, never mind. I will call the Denver Post and find out what's required for writing an article. And he said, I'm coming right out. Well, we had nothing in print. We had nothing. We didn't know that anybody would be interested. And they were. And they came, the the reporter, and oh, it, it, the checks started coming in the mail. And so out of absolute frustration, we wrote a book. Wow. And that's, I have no, no idea how many we've sold up to this point, but plenty. Right. And it was such an answer because we went to the mission field and it paid for our kids college wow. so that was a, a big plus wow. but we wrote the cookbook because of a desperate need so we could send them the books but we didn't have to go ourselves right mm-hmm. so denver post if i remember right did your mother-in-law write a column you are such a clever one <laughs> she didn't write a column but they wrote a column about her they wrote a column about it. Yes, her. and okay. she did it with, uh, she would do these fancy parties like Hawaii and stuff and have orchids brought in from Hawaii. So she, she really knew how to do it right. Wow. She wasn't cooking ahead, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we mentioned Cal um, earlier when we sat down, but how did you guys meet? Yeah, that was a trick. I came from Africa, and I had not gone to the, see the United States. I mean, I knew hardly anybody in the United States. But I came to, to uh, Philadelphia to go to college. And um, after a year, I got tired of the snow. So I decided to come to a place that had no snow, like Palm Springs. But instead, I went to Colorado Springs. <laughs> and I will never forget, I'm unpacking, and they said that they're going to have how many inches of snow? Well, it was too late. I'd already gotten all my stuff in, and I was a nurse, and that was all. I thought, what am I to do? So I met Cal. My host was a very loving woman, and she knew Cal. She said, you've got to meet Cal. But we didn't like each other. Oh. Yeah, so that was just the way it was. We had it. I was going to a conference in Chicago, and it was one of these big conferences, like 2,000 people. And my uncle was the speaker, a speaker. And I saw Cal. And he didn't look half bad <laughs> from, the back, from the back. Okay. He was sitting in the back, and he, he was two, I was two rows back. Well, he saw me, and I didn't look so bad. So we started talking, and I said, I have to go home to Colorado Springs tonight on the train. And he said, well, let me put you on the train, which was very kind because we were in Chicago and craziness. And we got there, and the train was full of 
soldiers going to Bar Collins. And he said, you're going to need this. And he went into his pocket and pulled out paper spray. He said, you're going to need this. (laughs) I said, for what? He said, for those soldiers. (laughs) And he was right. They walked up and down the aisle. And they would reach for me. Yeah. So then this one soldier said, why don't you come up and sit with me? And I said, how is that different than what I've just been putting up with? And he said, no, I won't. I won't touch you. So he lit one cigarette after another and got us home. Mm. And as we came, he said, you wouldn't think of dating me, would you? (laughs) (laughs) No. I said, I'm going to close the page. (laughs) But I met Cal. Awesome. You came from Africa. Yes. Did you grow up there? Yes. My parents were missionaries for 52 years among the pygmies. And so I grew up among the pygmies. And they loved them. My folks loved the people. So every month, they would take a week off and go to stay in one of the huts that the the, uh, villagers would make for us. And we stayed a week. And they did medical work, and it was just wonderful. And then we left there. My folks came home, and they were going to go back, but I couldn't go back because the schooling was a problem. But I was there for 12 years. And you went to boarding school, right? Where did you Where did you go to? That was in Florida. Okay. Um, okay. That was very difficult. Very difficult. Yeah. Um, because my parents weren't there. You know, it, mm. I was by myself and my little granny. She was a living example of what you can do in retirement. She didn't know have any skill, but she would offer to do anything to help. And she lived next door to us in Africa. And I think we were the only ones that had grandparents. Wow. Wow. But we had her, and she was such a dear. So she offered to come down and be with me at the school, but they wouldn't permit it. So she had to find a little apartment, and she waited all year for me to have just a few visits. I don't know how she did it, because she had been in Africa for all those years, for 30 years, and then she needed to... to acclimate to America but the two of us together were a stitch because neither of us knew how to answer the phone <laughs> and the phone would ring when he'd look at each other oh, you, it's your turn oh, no it's actually your turn and <laughs> we just it was a mess but we got along together we were just very very good for each other Wow, got each other through we did yeah. she lived probably three months into the first year and then she died okay mm-hmm. I remember a story, um, ask if you want to tell it or not, of a dress. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to tell that story. Okay. Those four years were going to be hard years. But what I didn't know was that the God Most High was going to be my Heavenly Father. And He made Himself known to me in ways that are absolutely unique. One time I was walking down the road and I thought wouldn't it be fun to have a black dress a black top and a skirt that had like a black and white plaid not plaid but uh, markings and all of a sudden it occurred to me that maybe God thought I was asking for it so I said no no I'm not asking for it I'm just imagining it and by gum two days later it comes in the mail Yeah. and the Lord did that over and over 
and over. But when I opened it up, I said, oh, Lord, you didn't have to. Because it was exactly what I had asked for. But all the clothes, I mean, I didn't have money to buy. So I tell him, the boarding school was like a finishing school. You had to have four separate wardrobes. And I didn't have four. I was good to have two. So I tell the Lord that I've got to have more clothes. That's what they're saying. But they're saying I need to have them in spring, whatever that meant. And by gum, they would come in the mail. Yeah. And to this day, I have no idea who did it. Wow. Other than my Heavenly Father. But I had one lady stop me once, and she said, Does your father own a shop in New York? And I said, No, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> and she said, This one isn't quite all there. <laughs> When you said you grew up among the pygmies, can I just ask you to tell a little more about that growing up there? Yeah, I would love to tell you about that. What happened was is that when my parents would go into the jungle for this week long, we got into the culture, we got into the the pygmies sat around us. Um, The only thing that they had to watch is they were in raw jungle. And after a rain, the water would collect in these big branches overhead, and they were way up. And you could hear it creaking, and everybody didn't move because someone was going to die. It landed on them. It would land on them, and they just get crushed into the ground. So this one time, we heard this creak, and everybody got quiet. And then we heard this crack, and it went into the ground. Um, the branch did. And my folks came out, and they had just moved pygmies away from that spot. Wow. Or they, would have, they said it would have killed 10 of them. Um, but my parents were some of the first, or only in those days, of somebody who could speak their language. So mom translated the Bible into Swahili with other people helping. And Kibila and Kilesi were the two other pygmy languages that they spoke. And uh, they just loved it. They played with them. They loved to, to act out a, uh, an elephant hunt. Um, probably one of the fun things. We were eating pancakes. And over my shoulder, I heard this man say, that's good, in English. Uh-huh. Oh, I never hear it in English. So I turned and I said, you said, that's good. He said, when I was younger, People came and captured me and took me to your country. And I was put in a box. He said, I'm so sorry for your country. He said, there's no dirt. It's all hard. It's cement. And he said, they let me go, come back here. That's why I know a tiny bit of English. Wow. Wow. So it was quite an experience. But my mom was the medical person, and dad kept everything running. So that was how we lived for one week a month. But I have to tell you that we lived in this hut, and every every month was a different hut because the, the locals would make it. I was sleeping, and I heard mom say, come into my tent, my mosquito net. And so I got in her mosquito net, but I got bitten on the way over to her bed. And I looked at the floor, and the whole floor was moving. And it turns out that there was army ants, which bite and hurt like crazy. And 
We paid four men all night to spread ash around the house in case that were to happen. The ash would deter them. But they often told us what they dreamt about, the people that were looking after us, <laughs> about the ants. <laughs> and here was the ants, just this whole mass of ants. So my father had to get out and step on them, and then we spread the ash in. So we were not immune to that. Wow. So when you got bit going from, was that how you, I know you contracted malaria at one point as a young girl? I had malaria as often as you can have it. Okay. Yeah. Every two weeks for 10 days. I, I was called an invalid because of it. It was... I just was sick all the time. But I haven't been sick probably a day since. So if, if you're going to be sick, <laughs> that's the time to do it. You do it got when you're it out, young. Of, all yeah. of, out of the way, right? It's done, yeah. Check yeah. that box. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So this next question, um, gift of hospitality and your love of cooking, where did that come from? I am crazy about hospitality, mainly because I love people. And my favorite thing is sleepovers. I just love sleepovers. They don't do them as many here in America but overseas you've got to do it because there's no other hotel um, anyway I learned my love for hospitality from my mother and father my mom th- their house was right in the middle of the jungle and um, people would come to the house and there's no place else to stay but at my folks' house and they made t- tremendous advantages about that they loved people, and they fed them. I watched them. I watched Mom give them the food off her plate. Mm-hmm. And I also knew that in the hospital, she was feeding someone off her plate, a sick child, mm-hmm. and she passed down the bones of a chicken, mm-hmm. and the child would gnaw off the little end of it and suck it, and it was for the iron from it. But Mom was... She just would say, aren't we blessed to have guests? Mm. And I don't know how she did it, because the the nearest grocery store, which was in quotes, um, it was in Kampala, which is another country away. Um, But she would never have turned anybody down. I mean, that that would just not be her style or, or dad's style. So we had company all the time. One time, I woke up in the bathtub. And I said, Mom, what happened here? And she said, someone needed your bed during the night. <laughs> oh, they just carried you in. And they carried me in, putting me in the bathtub. <laughs> and uh, the bathtub was unique. It was a formed cement thing and had a hole in it that if you looked just right, you could look outside. You could see. And my mother always put a plug in because the snakes came up that hill. Sure. And we weren't fond of snakes. And so... <laughs> Mom made a little bit in the in the bathtub for me, and she said, "I was all upset because I, I nobody asked." And she said, "But Heidi, remember Heidi, the story of Heidi and the grandfather?" Right. She said, "Heidi got to sleep in the loft." Well, if you put it that way, it's not it's not too bad to have sleep in the bathtub. Presentation. Oh, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's, that's right. right. <laughs> Mimi. You're probably going to have various answers to this too, but who, um, who's the person or people, mentors, influences in your life mm. that you can recall uh, and would like to share and honor them? I would love to honor them. 
my mother obviously is a mentor and my father, but uh, Cal graduated from medical school and we started a private medicine out in Golden. And every other week, the doctor's wives, and they invited me to join, would come and we would have coffee and pray together. And they were my mentors. Mm. So it would be Julie Miller, Janet Shane, and Jan Williams. And every time they came, I felt so supported. Never were they criticizing. The fact that my motherhood was different, never. And when you say motherhood was different, um, was it because you and Cal, how did you and Cal um, get into the life of, continue the life of missionary work? Okay. That, that came by surprise. Cal had always wanted to be a f- the first foreigner into a tribe of, it, of people that had never seen the outside world before. And I, never mind, I love to go into a place and find a, a target. So he was wanting to be the first foreigner into a, a tribe, and I was wanting to have it a little bit more civilized. Well, we went down as a short-term mission to Peru, and we heard that there was that kind of tribe that had never had contact with the outside world. And I could see Cal getting all, I mean, he just, his lights came on. And, but I reminded him, that the reason there was nobody that had gone in there is because they killed everybody that goes in there. And it's just a short little reminder. Well, that did nothing for him. He just still said, but they've never had any contact with the outside world. So word came that they were all dying. And he, the the mission that he was with was Wycliffe, and they had a float plane. And they said, we will fly you to that as close as we can get. Well, he was beside himself. He was so excited. And he had never, we didn't think we were going to go camping, so we didn't bring any camping stuff with us. They left us. uh, They let us use theirs. And there was two others, a nurse and a translator. And they, it was absolutely the most incredible thing. Cal and the translator of the, the Indian got there first. And they were all dying, truly all dying. Cal realized that the chief was very, very ill. And so he, he examined him first. And then he said to the, the other Indian that had come in, you're going to have to explain to him that I'm going to have to hit him with a spear, which is a, a shot. Yeah. And so the Indian rolled over and... Cal gave him a shot. Well, everybody that's in their hammocks are looking to make sure that the man's made it. And when he saw that they had made it, they all wanted him to come. Mm. And so, but Cal said those were agonizing hours because he did not know if the medication he had brought was adequate for this illness. And he went through the whole, this little group was 30 people. They all were very, very ill. And then the the Indian had come in. He said, "They tell me that there's lots of little groups in the in the forest, and they need you to come and see them." Mm-hmm. So Cal had an instant population of patients. Um, they didn't wear clothes, so he put a magic marker, a number, on their chest, so he knows not to give the same shot to the same person, and they would go from little group to little group 
And what had happened was they had a, a, a fear of having this problem. So they decided that they were going to hide in the jungle, which is just what Cal can't reach him. He doesn't know how to reach them. So Cal was there, and he'd go from little group to little group and try to encourage them to come into this, the main area where the chief was, so that Cal didn't have to spend all his time hiking. But one story that was just incredible, um, it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. A mother came in, very pregnant, and carrying a baby, and there was a 10-year-old boy. And Cal said that this is one of the few people that didn't have the illness. Cal had discovered it was, it was pneumonia. But they had never had any, anybody have that, so they, they, they had no defenses against that pneumonia. Well, when Cal saw this little mother who was pregnant, uh, from across the, the way, she came and she said, could you not go and visit my husband? I had to leave him on the trail. Well, Cal couldn't say no to that. But on the other hand, he couldn't speak the language. And the Indians have a way of moving their lips like that, where they're saying that that's where it's over there. And that doesn't tell you how far it is, but it's over there. That's where he last was found. Okay. So they t- sent a little 10-year-old with Cal. And he goes into one village that's empty, another village that's empty. And he said he's going further and further away from where the people couldn't help him get back home. Finally, they find the, do- the, the man. And he is, Cal thought he was dead. Oh. But he wasn't. And the little boy ran to get water. Cal gave him a shot. Then he said to the little boy, we've got to go back. Because it was getting dark. And the little boy said, no. It, this is all in, 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 by gesture. Right. But he was going to say with the dad. And Cal said, how could you blame him? Because that was his dad. Right. So Cal said, he gave his life again to the Lord and said, if you could get me back. And he starts off. Well, when my father heard this story, this is a part he freaked out on. He said, nobody walks in the jungle without a guide. Because the front of a tree looks one way, but if you look at it from the back of the tree, it's totally different. So none of the spots that you think you know where you are, you may not be. And in the mercy of God, he got back in time. And three days later, he looks up, and here's the little boy waving his machete. And Cal said he's awfully happy for being a little boy that just lost his dad. And his dad was coming behind him. Hmm. So the medication worked fabulous. Wow. And all this time that Cal is on his uh, calling and his adventures that the Lord is calling him to, you're waiting? I'm waiting at the station. And that, oh, they were having trouble with terrorists at the time. So every night we had to lay out our clothes in case a terrorist attack came. Um, I did put insect repellent there because I just had, don't want bugs walking on me just because I changed clothes. But I had the three kids, yeah. And that was, you know, the, do you remember the five missionaries that got killed in the yes. the one that was her father was the pilot. She was my roommate in college, in high school, Ned Saint's daughter. So I had heard about that, and the first time they tried to call Cal, or these other 
there were uh, a nurse and a translator. Why they tried to call them, there was nothing. Mm. And I remember thinking, I saw the kids and they were playing. And I thought, when do I tell the kids? Their dad is dead. Mm-hmm. And just then I heard this crackle, crackle. And I could hear Kel say, Mimi, I'm having a ball. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, I put my heart at ease. Yeah, good thing he wasn't close enough for you to give him a little shake, right? Scared me to death. (laughs) But he got back, and they were able to save the tribe from extinction. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. What a calling. What a calling. Yeah. And the Lord had called him to do that. I mean, he had talked about doing that long before we got there. Right. And I always discouraged him because I said, there's not that many tribes left in the world. Right. But it didn't cover it. (laughs) There's still a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We live in a world today where um, it's good to know truth. It's good to teach your children uh, truth as they're ready, Mm -hmm. as they grow up. And when you read their fairy tales to them, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you changed the ending. Yes. You, you, <laughs> instead I, of happily, and they lived happily ever after, you inserted. And they worked hard and made their marriage great. <laughs> and it wasn't until that they could read it, they said, it doesn't end that way. <laughs> and I said, I know of no marriage that doesn't take work. <laughs> but yeah. Kurt, our oldest, was working on some sort of campaign in yeah. Michigan. Yeah. And they needed a slogan. And he said, I have the slogan. And it's on buses and billboard. Yes. And they worked hard and made their marriage great. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Not that we have to work hard. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no. 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 You've lived around the world. And when 9-11 happened, you were living in Jordan. Mm-hmm. Why were you there? My husband was asked to teach the, the medical profession, uh, the people in medicine. So I think we were there for five years, but it might have been three. Was it five years? Uh-huh. Anyway, it was interesting. Um, we love the Arabs. We're just crazy about them. In fact, if we take a vacation, it'll be to Jordan. We just love them. Mm-hmm. Um, what we found out is they are so hospitable that we get asked, if you walk down the street, they'll call from their apartment building and invite you up for dinner or mm. for uh, tea. Wow. Yeah, they're just very hospitable. Wow. So what a what a place to be at the time of 9-11. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. We And we were absolutely cuddled by the people that we knew. They were just so sorry. So mm. sorry. Wow. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you a story. Yes. Yes. Of course. My, I had the best time with the cab drivers. Yeah. And one time I was getting out, and I knew that he was working on a compliment because I could hear his working on English. And he said, Madam, 20 years ago, you were beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. I thanked him that, kindly. That was very that kind is, of me. That's sweet. I know. Yeah. That is incredible. He I mean, couldn't be any more than that because that would have been flirtatious. Right. You right. see, he chose the right words. Yes. yes. Very mm-hmm. respectful. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I had been in a, in a taxi probably three times a day for the months that we were living in Jordan. And 
honestly, we had more fun in the taxi. He would, uh, taxi driver would let me come in. And I was sat in the back, as you just saw, you know, sitting up front. And he would start. Um, I could tell if he was going to be uh, congenial by the music he put on. He was uh, scouting through the middle, <laughs> trying to find American music. He knew more than I did on music. And um, it was, he always asked if I wanted a cigarette. And he wanted to know if he could get me some coffee. And we'd both share a cup, which is what they do. And I had more fun with him. Or I'd get in, and I, I had no idea. I, I used them three times a day. The driver may say, um, should I take you to where we, I took you last time? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't remember where you went last time. So it, it became like a, a game for me to, to bring these guys out. Uh, it was just so much fun. But 9-11 really shook everybody. And what happened was is that the um, chieftains or the, the people in charge of the different uh, villages came to the American embassy and stood in line for hours to write on a, a ledger that they were so sorry about the, the loss. Hmm. And you never read that. And that so touched me that they took time to come and stand in the hot sun so that they could tell us they were so sorry. They taught us how to grieve like we have never grieved. I would walk in a store that they knew who I was because I'd go in every day to get, uh, every week to get vegetables, and they, the owner would say, "Shh, shh, shh, shh. don't want to disturb her." Her silence, and they'd all get quiet. Well, we never say that when someone, you know, we we just don't know how to say that. But it was so tender. They, just so tender. Wow. What is one of your favorite or unexpected memories? One memory that I have just cherished. A lot of it, I try to go back to when I was in Africa. Because that was a different kind of life. But one of the memories was, my hardest one, was when the folks were going to leave. And I was going to be gone away from them for four years. Mm-hmm. And I had my little granny, which was just an answer. But she wasn't going to always live either. And it turns out that she passed away within a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was one of the things that I got used to was thinking about being alone. And I am an extrovert. Unbelievable. And so it, <laughs> see, she knows. Shelly is shaking her head. <laughs> yes. um, but to say goodbye for four years, knowing that a letter could take between three months to a year to get there. My mom wrote every single week, but we didn't get them every single week. We got them when they came through. Um, so that that was a memory that I had to work with, but... What I didn't know was that I was going to be uh, privileged to know our Lord in ways that I could not have mm-hmm. if I had had family. I was, um, I, I don't know who bought the ticket for me to go to, to a camp in, in the East, but I had all my camping gear with me. And I got up to the lady at the 
ticket lady, and she said, that'll be $40. Well, I hadn't seen $40 in a long time. <laughs> so I said to the Lord, it's just you and me here. And I stood there. And she says, $40. She said, I didn't hear. I heard. I was praying. <laughs> and finally, the man that was behind me tapped me on the shoulder and her and said, um, I'm not checking anything. Could you put her, her weight on my ticket? And that's how I went through. Over and over and over and over. Mm. I was going to find out what college I should go to. I mean, I didn't know America. I went to the library, and no one was in the library. And I, I said to the Lord, I don't even know how to spell some of these colleges. Could you help me? And this one of our classmates came in and he said, what's what you doing in here? And I said, I'm trying to find a college to go to next year, but I don't know how to start the process. He said, I will help you. But he said, you must know that you cannot tell anybody, but I'm wealthy. And he paid for it. Not my college. I got a scholarship for that, but he paid for, you know, the entrance fee and, and stuck with me. Wow. But that's the way it was. You have a lot of wisdom, and we appreciate you sharing it. Mm -hmm. But if you think about your life, is there anything you would do differently if you could do it differently? Anything you would change mm -hmm. or any regrets? I regretted that I did not thank Grandma enough. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm just so sorry. She left California having nobody in Florida because I was going to go there. And we, we didn't know what we were doing, the two of us. I'm 14, she's 80, and she's been 30 years in Africa. And it was, we found a, a, an apartment that had, was one room with a bed. And she was living on, on Social Security. Mm -hmm. um, and I should have been more gracious to her, I think. She would not have ever complained because we were just full of it. <laughs> but we laughed. We carried on. Mimi, I have a time machine here. I can press a button. You can go back, or it could be current, uh, in time, and have lunch with anyone. Who would it be and why, or what would you ask them? <laughs> Good question. I would like to invite my little sister that died. She was seven years old. And that's a story in itself, how they try to get her to come to America because they, they didn't have proper medical care there. But it was right after the war, and there was no free seats on the plane. And my parents waited weeks to get their little girl on the plane. Um, by then, she couldn't walk. She was too weak. But she was seven years old. And uh, the folks knew that they were not going to be able to take her home. But they got as far as Brazil because they had heard that the military had a, a, um, they had a hospital that had a, a pediatric ward. And so they were going to put Jeannie in the ward. But she didn't make it. Mm. She died. And they put her little body in this graveyard, which was mainly soldiers mm. because it was right after the war. And my mom worried about that because she said they took all the soldiers home because America paid for it, but they didn't have $1,000 to move her body. Mm. 
So they said, we would just love to know whatever happened to Jeannie's body. But no one's gone to Brazil to, to find this out. Anyway, mom always got teared up when we talked about Jeannie because she said, I didn't want to leave that little body hmm. in Brazil. Well, my father, before his death, must have written a missionary from Brazil. And he said, my wife has grieved all these years that she did not know where that little body was. Could you go to Natal? I, I don't say it right, but it was where they buried the, the uh, soldiers and see if you can find this little graveyard. And so he went, it took him 17 hours by bus. And he walks in, he asks the people around him, he said, where do people get buried when they're from the military? And they said, it's that, that gravesite, cemetery. And so the man went over there, and he, he had talked to the man at the front desk, and he said, we have no idea. He said, the rats have eaten the, the records. Mm-hmm. We have no idea. And he made a sweep like that with his hand and it indicated that there was just hundreds of, you know. And this missionary said to, to uh, our folks, he said, I prayed. For the sake of your servant, could you help me find this little grave? And he walked out of the, of the house where the caretaker was, and there it was. Huh. And he was so excited. He came to tell my mother, who was in a nursing home, and she did not know who I was. But when she heard that Jeannie's grave was fine, and she just thought that was the greatest thing. Hmm. Um, but when the man left, my mother forgot. If I had not been there, that whole story would not have been told. Wow. wow. I was visiting from, uh, from Ecuador. Uh. And so they left her little body there. Wow. Well, he will, the Lord will take it up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. God, so that's the story of multiple times of God's incredible timing yes. weaving together uh-huh. for such a moment as that. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Did I answer your question? Well, you could. I, what, what is, what is, I, I think your answer is perfect. Yeah. But if you want to say, if you could talk to her, what would you say? Or Oh, for the lunch? Yeah. If, if you had Jeannie. lunch with her, yes. with Jeannie. Yes. 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 Jeannie. <laughs> I would ask her if she could read to me because my mother, who didn't know children, thought that Jeannie should learn how to read when she was three. Oh, and so she taught her how to read. Oh, my and goodness. To get her ready for America, you know. Sure. And so Jeannie learned how to read. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then there was my other sister, Nancy, who was younger than, than uh, Jeannie. And Jeannie died on August 7th. And a year later, on August 7th, I was born. So the Africans call me the God gift back. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what mom does, everybody in Africa loses a child. Everybody, everybody, everybody. And they put the child in the middle of the area, and all the moms that have lost a child sit around. Mm-hmm. And mom said, I would not have been invited into the inner circle if I had not lost Jeannie. Wow. Mm-hmm. What is one of your happiest memories? 
Oh, yes. I <laughs> One, you've, got, you've probably got a million. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, after four years, my folks were coming home. And I was going to graduate from high school. And the folks were going to come to our graduation. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I just thought that was just the greatest thing ever. But mom and dad came. But I don't recall that I saw them before the graduation ceremony. But I may have. But they were coming specifically for that. And it was a big auditorium where they were seated. And I, uh, I was part of the graduation class and was up on the platform with the rest of my classmates. And mom and dad were someplace in the sea of faces, but I knew they were there. And that's what just made the biggest difference for me. And um, all of a sudden, they started the graduation and they said the first award goes to Marilyn Spees, which is my maiden name. I had no idea I was gonna get it. Uh, uh, an award and I lost it I was just so thrilled that my folks could see that right and so I stood up to get it and um, my father who had been four years in the middle of the Africa ran up the aisle Ugh. and up onto the platform <laughs> to get my picture real close <laughs> and everybody just they knew that there was this significance, and they said um, that they could see in Dad's face that it was, he, he would say, that's my girl, oh. that's my girl. Wow, wow. That was one of the best surprises. Yes. I had no idea I was going to get a prize. Now, what was the name of the boarding school you went to? Hampton DuBose Academy. Hampton DuBose. DuBose Academy. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't think it's running still. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever asked you that. So no, probably just not. curiosity. Yeah. Shelly, yes, uh, you have known Mimi for decades. 35 years. 35 years. You have co-authored a couple of books. Thank you for being here today. Yes. Could you tell us about Mimi as a good friend of hers? Thank you for asking. Yeah. I was hoping I could say, uh, give a little testimony. Mimi lives what she speaks. Mm. She is the same in public as she is in private and um she truly seeks the lord and during her 13 years of parkinson's journey um i've watched all of the holy habits that she's cultivated continue to come to life in her and in it she's truly an example of though the outer man is decaying the inner woman is being renewed day by day. And um, I look to Mimi as a mentor, and um, but we're also as close as sisters. And it's a great privilege, great privilege. So she's consistent and godly, and she's a lot of fun too. <laughs> <laughs> she is, isn't she? Yeah, I, um, I wanna echo that with Shelly. Mimi? This show, this podcast is called Just Over the Fence. Mm-hmm. We talk to the people in our backyard um, and get to know them and, and let others get to know mm-hmm. the people that we have in our circle just over the fence. Mm-hmm. We always ask at the end of the show, what would you like to throw just over the fence? Oh, a, okay. a piece of wisdom, mm-hmm. knowledge, something you'd like everyone to know 
a joke, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I would like to tell you that um, when I first started um, realizing that I needed to choose how I was going to spend a life. It wasn't just going to come to me. So I did a time study on myself, wrote down every 15-minute segments of what we talked about in the beginning. Yes. And I realized that I needed to choose contentment. Mm. And that became a huge goal. So I watched. Every morning I would write down things that I was grateful for. Mm. And it made a huge difference. And now that I have Parkinson's, for 13 years, I don't know what I'd have done if I'd wasted those 15, 13 years being fussy. Mm. It's the fact that if you're content, what Paul said in First Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Yes. And it is, it is absolutely. I did not want to go into old age fussy. Mm. I don't want to do that to my family. And never mind that I have Parkinson's. I must choose on a daily basis. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Wow. That's what I throw over the fence. Well, like we said, we could have asked questions. We could have heard we could have heard these stories for hours. Really it was an honor to welcome Mimi and Shelley onto the episode. Yeah. We're gonna have to have Shelley back. Just yeah. do an episode with her. She has an incredible story, her and her husband, Glenn, mm-hmm. as well. One song that I know that uh, Mimi really loves, um, we're going to ask Bree to sing this. If you know Mimi Wilson, you know her love for this next song that Bree and Matt will share with us. And when I asked her, I have to tell you this, Maddie, when I asked her why that song, she said, because this song says it all. to see 
I think Mimi was right. That song says it all. Thank you, Bree and Maddie. Yeah, Bree Wees. I then shall live as one who's been forgiven. Yeah. Is that by Bill Gaither or is that by his wife? Well, the the tune is by, it's a classical composer, Jean Sibelius. The tune is Finlandia. But uh, yeah, Gloria Gaither wrote those words. Beautiful words. Mm-hmm. Will you link those words? Yeah. I'm ready for a nap because <laughs> I know because of you and, and, and if, what you put me through. But if I were in a uh, presidential debate right now, somebody might call me a little low energy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she does bring peace. Remember before she came today, well, I was talking about how she just those people in your life who emanate peace, right, and I, contentment. I know. Yeah, you can't help but feel that. Yeah. Yeah, in the midst of her, what I'm sure is pain. Yeah. And suffering with Parkinson's, as many out there who have it deeply understand, she is just a joy mm-hmm. and always content and always emanates peace. Thank you, Mimi. And thank you, Shelley. To everyone listening, thanks for listening. And uh, we started this podcast now about a year ago with the thought that it would just be a chance to do something positive at a time, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, things felt everything was so unsure and this was just a chance to connect with friends, but also hopefully share some light. And uh, I hope it's been, I hope it has been that for you listening. Mm. Because it certainly has been for us. I won't forget these. Have real conversations. Sit down and have real conversations with people. Can I tell you this? Mm -hmm. I think we're the only ones during the pandemic that started a podcast. Yeah, it's not. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of unheard of, right? 
But we had been thinking about this for almost 20 years. Yeah. So we finally got off the, whatever you want to say. <laughs> well, there were about 25,000 podcasts started in March of 2020. How many of them are still going? Hey, <laughs> fair point. I like A year that. later. Yeah. Thanks, Harry. Thanks, Maddie. Okay, everybody, make it a great month. We'll see you next month. Just over the fence. Mm-hmm.